listening to 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of the 9to5 Entertainment System. Hey, as always, if you enjoy the 9to5 Entertainment System, go to patreon.com slash 9to5cc and subscribe to any level above the $3, $3 or more, and you will get access to Garbage Time, which is a whole bonus episode that comes out every uh, time there is a episode of 9ES. We have another podcast called Garbage Time, which is just kind of like more of 9ES, maybe a little a little rough around the edges. Uh, there's other perks there, too, uh, if you're interested. So 9 to 5 or go to patreon.com slash 9 to 5 cc uh, to support us we would really 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 appreciate it if not just maybe tell your friends like and subscribe do all that stuff what do we talk about in this episode uh we talk about COVID 19 we talk about how booking bands will become cheap uh we talk about the film naked gun we talk about snow job which was a concert series in the 90s specifically snow job 97 and 98 uh we talk about mac and me we talk about kmfdm uh we talk about the hip-hop family tree which gets us talking about ed pisker uh, where we talk about x-men grand design and then we talk a little bit about grant morrison's doom patrol all this and probably a little bit more on yes Just started recording. Yeah, I know. I, so, I know so. there's news. There's news. COVID uh-huh. news. Uh, <clears throat> well, Quebec goes two days in a row over 200 cases. Okay. And I guess the the controversy or the controversy, if you uh, if you prefer, is uh, the I Quebec do. government said that there was at least one case in at least 47 schools, but then uh, some reporting. Uh, seems to not have lined up or been delayed, and even the English School Board of Montreal says, yeah, some schools that we have had a positive case in uh, is not on that list. So that number might be like 80. So there might have been at least one case in 80 or more schools. Huh. That's we did it. Fun. Well, uh... <laughs> we put kids together, the cleanest of the humans. Is this this is a week after they started? Yes, yes. this is one week after they started. Wow. At least 47 and up to 80 cases. Yeah. Or uh, at least 47 and possibly up to 80 schools have at least one or more case within a week of starting. Um, I don't think that bodes can, extremely can, well. Hold on, hold on. Can that have come from an infection at school? You're talking Monday they got the infection and then by Friday they're detecting it? Well, it potentially just means that they sent sick kids into school though, right? So if that if they have at least one, that means yeah. they yeah. potentially have then gone on to infect the school. Almost right? certainly, like, yeah. Like, that's what they're saying, is they're like, it, it's very, very unlikely these kids got COVID at school. It's what is more likely. And <clears throat> what a lot of people are kind of at least, I think, I guess, I, I don't know if this anthropolog- anthropological studies or whatever. What the study is, a lot of people are pointing towards the fact that because there was back to school, there were a lot of, like, end of summer parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of socializing going on, like, the week or two before school as everybody was getting their camping and family and whatever together before school which you're like so now we're seeing we're seeing that happen in school but now everybody's in school so i don't know also kids yeah with, kids with little symptoms that their parents might not have taken them to get yeah, tested like one like there's like a there's like a kid that like has like a dry cough 24 7 right like there's that kid there's always, yeah. like there's that kid in every class and he's had it <laughs> he's had it since he's been home and now yeah exactly it's just like oh no that is not okay whether it's normal or not, you need I to mean, get a negative test. But big picture, yeah. we're talking about 500 new infections in Canada yesterday or something. Like, it's still quite a small number. 
Sure. But I mean, we also, if you take a look at the numbers uh, as of like two or three weeks ago, we had consecutive days like under 80. And now we've yeah. had two consecutive yeah. days over 200. And okay, we, also, but if, we if, also know that the numbers don't really show until two weeks later. Yeah, we knew that there was going to be another wave mm-hmm. coming off of this. The question is, how bad is it? And it the question is, should we have put a bunch of kids into groups together, no, I guess? that's not quite right. Kind of. No. I mean... I mean well, cause here, so here's the deal. I, I, as far as I understand it, the kids themselves are much less likely to be at risk because they're kids. But those kids can transmit the disease like anybody else to people who are at risk. So I've, I, I, biked, uh, I, I biked around the neighborhood on Thursday and I was around the lunchtime hour. So I ended up biking by three schools and it just looks like a regular playground of kids running around. Yeah. Three different schools. All of them are like that. The teachers are the only ones in masks sitting there with their, their masks and their face gloves, faces on. So maybe the teachers are okay. But if those kid, that kid doesn't have that bad symptoms or he's not showing because he could be a transmitter, I don't know. I think that it's crazy that we applied one rule to people saying, okay, you know what? One household, two, three households top, six feet apart. And then we're like, yeah, but those rules don't apply to kids, let's, right? Like we didn't wave that six feet apart thing for the rest of us. Keith, let's, let's be really fair here. Like we're mm-hmm. saying kids, kids, kids. This is employers of people with children that are forcing yeah. it to happen. It's not, we did this to kids, kids do this, kids do that. No, this is capitalism saying you have to go back to work. We cannot, we do not want you to stay at home anymore with your kids. This is not, man, kids are, are doing this. Kids don't. No, didn't make the rule. Oh, and I'm not saying the kids are at fault. The kids are going to play with kids as soon as they can, man. Like, I would do the same thing if I was, like, eight years old. If they're saying, hey, it's okay for me to go and run around with my buddies, I'm going to go run around with my buddies. I put no blame on kids. It's not schools. I, it's not teachers. Not even the schools. It's right, yeah. It's, schools and teachers are also been vocally against it. It's like the it's every itself. every call center who's, who's sick and tired of not being able to micromanage their their employees and every warehouse worker who's been, like, hmm. on on – unemployment leave because their kid has no other place to go because there's no other yeah. place open. It's those people that are making the spike in numbers, not schools, not kids, not infecting yes. themselves. Like let's, we, we know if we're going to put a blame, if we're going to point the blame on it, we can point it at the government uh, under pressure of capitalism. For sure. I don't blame, I don't blame like the schools for reopening because they're just being told what to do by the government. I don't blame the teachers for teaching. I don't blame the kids for playing I blame the fact that, yes, powers that be, which is 100% the government, which is 100% on pressure from to get more people back at work and all that stuff so that they have, uh, you know, free babysitters, government-sponsored babysitters so that parents don't need to stay home with their kids anymore. That's what happened. And now we're going to see a bunch of sick kids or a bunch of spread, probably. I mean, like I said, this is one week and the numbers have, like, the new numbers per day have more than doubled at one week of having schools open. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully uh, it doesn't like spiral out of control or anything. And they've also, I think they've also said at least to, I guess, maybe make myself feel a little bit better that they were like not going to hesitate to pull the trigger on a total lockdown again, the second it does look like it's spiraling. But I don't know. Still, still seems like a crazy bummer that we were like close to having it like real contained and now have it less contained. Yeah, but dude, you're fucking, you're making so much noise about 200 infections across Canada. I recall you were like, so when this happened in March, you were like, oh, there's seven or eight cases and they haven't shut anything down. So technically it's too late with a two week gestation period. 
So 200 yeah, cases. Yeah, That's- with most of everybody being on lockdown around all of that. Yeah, but, but not anymore, right? Like every classroom has like 30 kids in it. Okay. okay. That's 30 households, which is more than we're allowed to get together in as adults under the current law, right? Like we're supposed to be two or three households tops, period. Maintaining social distance. You put 30 kids in a room. I understand the situation. Around. You're just repeating yourself now. Okay, it, cool. It's it's. I mean, like, yeah, it's bad to get to have it all spreading and whatever, but like, you, you the the you see the outcome of it so far, which has been fairly minimal. In five days. Yeah. Okay, with the numbers more than doubling. <laughs> like. Like no. Nope. In the last over a, the. Oh, over is, the course of the last weekend, there were more new cases of COVID in, like, the Quebec area than there was in, like, the last two weeks combined or whatever the hell. Like, well, no, you're not right. There was a 25% increase in total cases. <clears throat> That's pretty significant. I mean, yeah, we knew there would be another their second wave, right? And other places are having their second wave, like India, and they had 90,000 new cases last week. Yeah. Okay. This, this, we're not in the same boat. I know, but, I mean, I just don't understand how you explain the math to me in March. Now you're like, yeah, but that math is different now. It's under control. Well, we have had a, six months of the government and our health professionals around the country responding and adjusting and d- dealing. Yeah. So, yeah, no. it's different. I, I guess that I just put, like, I guess to, to put the pin in it, I don't understand how they haven't removed those restrictions on how adults interact. And then they have removed those restrictions on how children's interact. Like, literally, like, nightclubs can't open and be a schoolyard full of dancing people. They're not allowed. It's against the law. But oh, they're kids. It's fine. Just run around and play kickball. Who gives a shit? Well, nightclubs can open outside in the schoolyards if they wanted to. There's a totally different <laughs> transmission rate when you're outdoors versus when you're in a lowly ventilated dance floor. Well, yeah, but they can't, right? Like, there's still public gatherings still have a limit of, like, 250 people. And, right. So and, that sounds like a schoolyard, though. <laughs> and in those gatherings, you're supposed to be socially distancing. Right. And that's obviously not what kids are doing. Kids are just being kids. So, so the kids are, yeah. But, Keith, we, your nightclub thing obviously doesn't fall into that. Sure, I agree. But like I said, you couldn't even have a party. Like I couldn't have a, a, I couldn't have a party in the picnic like what they're having in a school yard right now. People would say you're being too close. Cops would come and yell at me. Period. Yeah. Like that would happen yeah, again. The because there's no money to be made by you having a picnic in the park. Not yet. You're, Sponsor you're not, my picnic, government. You're not. You're not the mayor of Montreal saying, "Man, people should go back to work downtown because uh, my." constituents are complaining that they're not making any money selling falafel. Yeah, wasn't or... that, was that was that this week or last week? The please go downtown thing? Yeah, this week. <laughs> also this week. insane. <laughs> hey, please go downtown. I mean, I'd rather not if it's all the same to you. <laughs> like... Also, like, imagine you're TELUS and you've rented out two full floors of the Sun Life building. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't need to do that anymore. I can rent a couple of boxes off to carry and not pay, you know, millions of dollars of primetime rent and just have everyone, you know, work in their living room. Well, which is happening, <laughs> right? And like, they're like, that guy, like now and they're seeing just, they're just looking at themselves going, why did I pay all this money for this? Oh, a hundred percent. Like where I work, they are legitimately based, based on all of this. They're not renewing. We're not, yeah, they're not renewing. They had all 17 floors of the building at Garçon trial. Mm-hmm. And I think they're not renewing the lease on like four or five of them now. Like that is a lot of rent. Like, yeah. John, you're muted. If you're talking, I think even before uh, COVID we were closing floors, like everybody was working from home already. 
at yeah. the center. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Where, 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 yeah, but like I work, whatever. I work. We said it on the show before. I work at CN, and CN had a usually a pretty strict everybody in the office kind of policy. Like they were very anti working from home. And then obviously COVID happened, and they were like, "Well, we're going to do working from home." And then because now they've gotten to have like six months of solid data on what that looks like, and they haven't seen like drops in production and productivity and all that stuff, they're like, "Oh yeah, we're just going to save a bunch of money on rent now." Here we go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like if you're a dude, if you're a, I, I mean, I went to uh, rent a car on Thursday and went downtown and there's like, again, every time I like, I go to rent a car, maybe every two or three weeks to head up to the cottage. Every time I go, there's like literally more commercial spaces like shuttered, right? Like for sure, and, for sure, for and, sure. And I'm like, though, that is not going to come back anytime soon, you know, like like just and just like imagine you even if you were if you if like if nine to five dot cc was about to like open like a store of some kind even if we had the startup capital to we're not doing it anytime soon until there's like until like a full return to normal so you're like everybody who had a commercial business is like losing money hand over fist and uh not everybody well a lot of people a lot of commercial storefront areas are losing money Mm -hmm. if you had physical storefronts i mean Come on, shopping online, eBay opened when? They had time to figure out how to do this. <laughs> like, come on. But I mean, but at the same time, if you have a Saint, if you have a St. Catherine Street storefront, you're like, you're like, you're pretty sure, like, just based on like projections of every day up until COVID, thousands of people are gonna walk by your store. <laughs> you know, like you that would that wasn't like a, a crazy bet on your part. Yeah, just that's like, like, oh, that's like being, gonna that's disappear. Like, that's like being a taxi driver and being like, people don't need an app to call a taxi. They can just phone one. They have a phone in their hand. Oh, wait a minute. It's necessarily yeah. the exact same. Like, I think that, like, not having an online presence for your store is probably a mistake, <laughs> obviously, in 2020. But, like, having a storefront and having, like, on an area with, like, a lot of foot traffic wasn't, like, an insane gamble. And nobody predicted that, you know, foot traffic would evaporate overnight because of a pandemic. Like, I don't blame anybody's like, oh, you should have seen it coming. eBay is a thing. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, but they should have seen it coming because eBay is a thing. Amazon's a thing. Everyone's and, like, and retail's been, been dying a slow death for 15 years. Sure. Chapters yeah. in Indigo have been closing their bookstores because everyone buys yeah. their books online. And yeah. they, knew that, they knew that a long time ago when they started selling their, their Kobos. They're just like, yeah. that's, what, that's what people want. They want it now say- and. Now that I think about what is on St. Catherine Street, it makes a lot of sense based on this conversation that it's a lot of what shoe stores. The one thing that sucks to buy online. <laughs> like yeah, suits. Yeah. Well, no. Well, yeah. Well, suits and shoes, like yeah. basically stuff that you need to put on and have like a unique fit. And even if you have like a size, like even if you have your measurements for your shoe or measurements for a suit, you can't just like order one online and like know it's going to fit properly. You know, like, but yeah, tons of shoe stores and tons of suit stores. And now those are also going away. And I guess, obviously, uh, bars and restaurants are, are hurting bad. Like, there's a Balsam, which was near the Sun Life building, is shuttered up and for rent. There isn't a for rent sign on Dominion yet, but I know it's the same people that own it. So I imagine. I'm sure it's around. Yeah, exactly. You, like, I can't, I just can't imagine. Sports also being completely fucked. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's the bars. 
Yeah, exactly. Nobody. I, well, I mean, sports kind of sports came back, but with no people allowed in. Uh, obviously, in the arenas, and there was the isolated arenas. But then also, like you have to all, every every bar that is choosing to operate with an indoor has a capacity limit that they didn't have previously. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with rent and bars and stuff being what they do, everybody who I've spoken to in the industry is like the profit margins on these places like the rent is so sky high and stuff that you're like if i'm not at capacity i'm not making a good amount of money mm-hmm. so even if i can reopen i'm not making a ton of cash like and i probably won't be able to make rent like um like the, our friend john who owns like fairmount and stuff like that he's like if i am throwing parties and i don't have at least like five or six like nights a month at capacity mm-hmm. i'm not making my like profit margins you know, so she's like, he's like, that's not every night. I don't need to pack the house every night. But he's like, I need to have a couple good Fridays and Saturdays in that month at capacity mm. to really like turn some money. And you're never so going to get one. Yeah, and you're not even going to get one now, right? Yeah. So you're just sort of like, what? what is even the model there? The mo- model is for the landlord who's taken on that that risk and is now going to be losing money hand over fist mm-hmm. because they charge exorbitant rents to make these people who had rent businesses based on their rental properties mm-hmm. – uh, Barely make profit by the skins of their teeth, and all of that is going to have to be readjusted mm-hmm. dramatically so in the future because those big mega companies are not going to send 100% of their employees back to work because they don't have to. And they yeah. know they don't have to, and that means they don't have to pay for rent, they don't have to pay for chairs, they don't have to pay for computers in the same way, they don't have to pay for janitorial staff, mm-hmm. they don't have to pay for waste removal. The government's even going to help them pay for certain things. Electric bills are all going to go down. All of the, oh, Like TELUS or CN isn't paying any party or hydro bill. No, I bet, but, but like they the government... The yeah, government yeah. will. You get a tax rebate depending yeah, on how exactly. much you Exactly. That's the thing, but which is crazy. Like, that's literally like TELUS and CN aren't paying it. The government yeah. will. Like, yeah. So this is like, this is double good. <laughs> like, for, you know, like, well, even- no, double bad because we as tax paying members of this community are going to be paying all of that. Oh, I, I mean, double good for the company. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like bad for us as taxpayers, because there's going to be, can you imagine what that's going to do? Like the amount of people that are now claiming that, uh, the, the work from home, uh, thing where it's because if you work more than 50% of your time from home, you qualify for a tax break, right? Mm -hmm. In Canada. So that is now applies to a monstrous portion of the population that in 2020, that it did not in 2019, like that's going to be something (laughs) like when we file, like when, File taxes in 2021 for 2020. That's going to be a whole thing. That's going to probably screw up somewhere. Some some ledgers on the government. Right. Uh, but one of the things I was going to say about the, I guess, like the rebalancing of whatever this looks like when things go back to normal. When I was talking about John and running the clubs and stuff, one of the things that he was saying that was crazy is because of all of this like weird like trickle down effect. Everybody, all of the bands' booking fees have been like slashed, right? Like it is much cheaper to book a band now for whatever the eventual future is like booking a band for like July, 2021, assuming that we have it in sort is still like a fraction of what it was. And a big part of that is because a, they all are desperate. Like every band and musician is like desperate for income, but also they're now competing with everybody. So it's like, if you are like, and he's like, there's going to be this weird moment where if you have the startup cash, like the best possible time to open a club is like post vaccine, (laughs) you know, where you're just like, if you have the money to be like, okay, I have a club, you're, and like, you're like, all of the bookers are willing to work with almost anybody, 
And you're like, maybe not all, everybody's booking against the biggest name. So if you can go like down the list on maybe you're not going to book the biggest DJ in the world, but like the 20th biggest DJ in the world, he needs money yeah. too. <laughs> you know, like. And like or even, uh, even go to the B-list musicians, right, who are looking yeah. for gigs and book them for really small shit. Like you could get Smash Mouth to play your wedding or something, you know? <laughs> what are they up to? Uh, I, mean, they're, they're, for a gig. I, I was like, Smash Mouth's actually playing, uh, was played that biker rally and said that COVID was stupid. Yep. So, okay, but we, I'm sure they would take a booking <laughs> at a much smaller venue, like they my would, cottage. They'll take any booking. That's yeah, what I'm talking about. But they won't wear masks to and from it. Like, yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. But like, what if it was like $2,000? Would you pay $2,000 to have Smash Mouth come pay, play your house party? Like, I might. Well, like, listen, I would pay $5,000 for Offspring, okay? I'd right. Right. Why am I dealing with Smash Mouth? <laughs> I have a couple more thousand dollars. I'll take Offspring. There's no way that Offspring would do that because uh, their lead singer dude is like a PhD in genetic engineering. Oh, that's true, eh? Dexter has like his like master's or doctorate or some crap. He's, he's busy enough right now. Yeah. yeah, I think there might be a demand for that right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's new, no new Offspring. <laughs> the global health community needs. I'm busy curing COVID. Dexter I'll be calling. <laughs> Uh yes. Uh then who else can we book? Um I don't know. Probably real big fish, even though there's like ten of them. <laughs> like you could probably book real big fish or something if they can make it in over the border. Oh yeah, and that's the other thing too, right? Is you're like <laughs> you're like, will the borders be open <clears throat> to book you're, these bands? So what's your time right? for moist? Our lady hey. <laughs> time for a moist Our Lady Peace. Good <laughs> 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 party. The tea party. Yeah, it, <laughs> what was the concert they did in Montreal? It was like SummerSlam or something like that. There was like an alternative fest every year. I swear to God, I saw that lineup we just described one year. They tea did, party and well, they did Somersault. Uh, Somersault was crazier though. Somersault was uh, that was I went and it was one of the most absurd lineups ever. Just because like the back to back, like the triple headliners was Our Lady Peace, Foo Fighters, then Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, which I'm like. No, no, the winter one they did it up at the snow, the ski. Oh, home. snow job, snow job. <laughs> because it was the nineties. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That definitely had, definitely had, like at least moist than Our Lady Peace, probably, oh. probably Tea Party. We should look into this. We could, we could do that thing again. You know, just after COVID, we book all these guys for twenty twenty four. You know. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Bring back snow job bands of the nineties. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, what else has been going on, everybody, guys? Just cut through like a third of 90s, but I feel that we ended on a high note talking about booking bands of the 90s for cheap. And I think now is the time to do it. Oh my god, and it would be 90s presents Snow Job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> brought to you I mean, by that's how you know you've five. made it. I love it. But you guys imagine the radio ads. I'm like, brought to you by 9 to 5 CC. Everyone's like, who? <laughs> that's how cheap bands are to book. Is that a website with a podcast can host this? <laughs> they sold off some of their shares in fancy telcos, so mm-hmm. now they can book twenty twenty two snow job. It, isn't is music plus still a thing? They'll get on there. They'll get in on that. Hmm. Yeah. So what's been going on? What's uh what's been happening? Playing games, reading books, watching movies. How's the vacation going, bud? Um, so I have two movies that I watched that would be amusing to discuss. The first is The Naked Gun, which you might have seen. 
with old Mr. Leslie Nielsen. I remember kind of being a fan of it when I was younger, but mostly because my dad liked it. You know, I think I was just like a little too young in 88 when it came out. But um, so this is the first one. Uh, they yeah, all really the one. blended together for me. Based on yeah. a TV show, right? Yeah, there was a TV show called The Police Squad. Yeah. Which I think was basically the same thing. And then The Naked Gun was just like a direct continuation of it. And the show got canceled for some reason. Um, I like I was reading up on it and didn't get the whole story exactly. Mm-hmm. But um, it was all the same characters that like went straight into Naked Gun. And I, the, the, I found the comedy, the, the pace of comedy was really high. You know, like a lot of old... 80s comedies sometimes it's just way slower way more plot way more character and this was like random adhd nonstop anything well, for a gag it's in that uh, same place as like uh airplane right it's the like, same guys as airplane. Where, yeah exactly that's it but like airplane is like that where it's just like machine gun jokes and if yeah. you're like you're laughing over for one and you're like wait like i what? need to and go then, back because there was like three more that i missed while i was but just some like, of them are so dumb and low brow and just the dumbest slapstick anything 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 for a gag yep. but leslie nielsen ties the room together man his his <laughs> straight man in in the face of this ridiculousness is so good I, I kind of forgot how much of a horrible cop Frank Drebin is. It's just like a, like a running joke. Everything he does is the worst. And he fucks <laughs> up everything and does it with a perfectly straight face and like totally serious and doing the most ludicrous things. Well, because right. that, that was the whole joke of even Police Squad, right? Was that yeah. like, if I'm not mistaken, Police Squad was one of his first roles as a comedy. And like, that's why he got like booked as the straight man because he had most of his career. Or I mean, I guess what he's probably like 40 maybe. Yeah. In, yeah. By, he's by already like, white. Yeah, exactly. That's it. But I mean, cocaine, who knows? Like, uh, but yeah, because he was a, like a straight man, dramatic actor before he moved into like being Leslie Nielsen from our childhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like straight man, comedic actor. Yeah, exactly. That's it. But he was like yeah. straight man, dramatic actor, which I guess is why he must nail it so hard. He does comic. it so well. And he does things that are so over the top and does them with such earnestness and just obvious desire to do it right. Every time he sits down in his car and he slows it down, he smashes into something. It's just, and they don't, they don't like stay on it. They don't make it the focus of the gag. It's just the background. Every time he gets into his car, he runs into things. Uh, it's so good. Naked gun guys. It's great. <laughs> the official. The official movie of police incompetence in 2020. I mean, it's like more (laughs) relevant now than it maybe was then. (laughs) And you know what else is great? O.J. Simpson plays a big role because one of his his character is like one of the main characters on the show. And in The Naked Gun, the only thing he does is get beat up. (laughs) He he like goes to do an investigation at the start of the movie, gets gunned down, and then spends the rest of the the rest of the film convalescing. And then his joke is that every time somebody goes to visit him, they accidentally like they press the button on his bed and it flips him off of the bed and he falls out and bumps his head again. And that's O.J. Simpson. So even that wasn't bad. <laughs> just like watching O.J. Simpson eat it all the time. Yeah. yeah so what, is, what is even like other than like incompetency, right? It's just like it's yeah. it, it's just what they solve a case. That that's so the, the plot of the movie plot. is that the 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 Queen of England is coming to to visit a baseball game in America. And Frank Drebin, who is like the superstar cop, wins all the awards, whatever, is assigned to make sure that she doesn't get um, killed and embarrassed the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a plot to kill her. And then there's a there's the love interest played by, and I forget her name now. She's Priscilla super Presley. funny also. Yeah, Priscilla, Priscilla Presley. Presley. And 
Mm. Yeah, who I like expected to be kind of eye candy, not amusing, and she she's delivering lines all the way over the place. She's fucking hilarious. Um, the 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 like the queen is there, and there's a scene at the start where you have like all of the heads of state of the Middle East that America is in opposition with. So like uh, at the time, it's probably like Iran. Iraq, Iran. No. Just see. Okay, so um, Idi, Idi Amin, Muammar Gaddafi, Ayatollah Khomeini, Yasser Arafat, Fidel Castro, and Mikhail Gorbachev are all there in a room, and Frank Trebin shows up and just starts beating them up and shooting them, and it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Could you do that in 2020? I don't think so. I think it yeah, would be I a big deal. somehow. Yeah, I think it would be a really big deal. Also, having the queen get embarrassed and eating a hot dog and falling down, like, I... I I don't know, man. I feel like I times could have probably changed. get away with like I maybe. Feel, like I feel there's been lots of like woo, like queen falling down has like been like a a staple of like British comedy and stuff. Uh, you know? Like, like, like I feel that they uh, there's a bit more, bit more. But yeah, man. Like anyway, I recommend checking this out again. I found I was like pleasantly surprised by how well it held together all these years later, because there's been a bunch of, of like '80s comedies that have popped up on Netflix in the last couple of weeks, and okay. some of them are rough goes. Things have changed in the comedy world. Uh, do you want to do you want to rank it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah why not? Hitting the rank on Naked Gun. I was I was thinking about that. Like comedy is is at the edge of what is acceptable in society. You know, like a lot of the times that's where the comedy comes from. And so, like as a barometer to what a society finds edgy slash unacceptable, you don't get better than than seeing a comedy. Mm. So, Naked Gun. I I don't know. I, I'm looking at this. I have a is 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 it one of the top comedies that has ever been made on film? I mean, I don't know. That's a tall order, but it's probably up there. You know, top twenty five. So top like, I'm, I'm, I was like scrolling around looking for comedies. I found Office Space. Is I was yeah. looking there too. Yeah, one of the highest ranked ones, which is fifty seven. This probably had more comedic hits per minute than Office Space, but it was definitely a lower brow and definitely shooting shooting at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And other and other comedies, uh, Heather's at night at forty one and In Bruges at forty two. Well, it's definitely In Bruges isn't a comedy. No, no, no. Go, go down, go down from Office Space. Yeah, you go down from Office Space. For, further down, and this is oddly comparable. Yeah, Deadpool. Yeah, at sixty one. Kind of. <laughs> Frank Drebin is to police movies as Deadpool is to superhero movies. That is yeah. pretty, pretty I would bad. probably put it above Deadpool. I feel like near Office Space is the right place. It's like funny, but not, they're not, not as funny. Far apart. They're four yeah. Apart. yeah, they're four apart. So yeah, I guess, yeah. so yeah, 61 Deadpool, 57 Office Space. All right. Uh, so where where is it? Where does it go? I think it could, I think it could probably get past Rogue One. Yeah, I didn't see The Edge of 17. And I, I feel like The Quiet Place is probably a more... Well, man. Quiet Place okay, is very good for, with with dumbness. Yeah. I have a suspicion that we're going to watch it again in a few years and we're not going to find it nearly as amusing. And, like, the the, the roughness of the, the the idea, you know, is, is going to be more obvious. I saw Quiet Place twice, and just reading the quote, I still feel that... It's a great movie if you can get over the fact that these characters made the dumbest decision ever. Like, yeah. it's which is I, that is very, still stands on it. Like I seem like I said, I watched Quiet Place a second time a little while. All right, ago. all right. So we'll put it under the under a Quiet Place. I'm all right with that. After extensive yeah. research, I was able to discover discover 
a website looking <laughs> back at Snowjob97. I'm so <laughs> disappointed because I was really hoping you discovered a website and it was like a GeoCities of like someone who attended it. Oh, no, not, no. Not, not a retrospect, but like some like GeoCities site that was still hosted. No, no, no. Being like, this- my trip to Snowjob97. God damn it. This discusses a Google group called alt.music.canada where they go over Snowjob97 and have recorded a bunch of videos right off of the television. So there's like an extensive playlist. Uh, Snowjob97 included Shaggy, Crazy Town, Hootie and the Blowfish, Sloan, Wilco, I'm Mother Earth, and the headliner was Collective Soul. Wow. wow. Was there only Snowjob97, or have there been other Snowjobs? Man, I told you it was an extensive and detailed search for Snowjob97. I don't care about <laughs> the other years. But now I'm asking about the other one. Well, I'm just going to put myself on mute then for another 20 minutes. God damn it. <laughs> well, while we were talking about movies uh, that did... So, John, when you were saying Naked Gun, uh, movies that do not age well... Mm-hmm. Um. I watched a movie that didn't, does not age well. That usually, I, usually my rule uh, is to not really bring up MST3Ks because uh-huh. typically you're not really watching the film. But I watched. I had not watched. They released a second season. I think maybe a year or two ago of the Netflix run. So they uh-huh. did like they did the return, which I think was like eight episodes, and then they did the Gauntlet, which was six. So yeah. um, Sarah and I jumped into the Gauntlet this weekend up at the cottage, and the first movie of MST3K, The Gauntlet, is something that is like a movie that I feel stands out enough in the zeitgeist that it does bear uh, mentioning is the first movie of The Gauntlet and MST3K on Netflix is Mac and Me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched it twice. <laughs> Which is, Sarah had never seen Mac and Me before. It is such a pile of shit. Oh my God, is it amazing. So, so garbage. I cannot believe the amount of product placement from minute to minute. It's a McDonald's McDonald's and Coca-Cola commercial. It's relentless. There's a character who works at a McDonald's and is subsequently just in her McDonald's outfit the whole time. Yep. (laughs) Right? They have a scene where they go to a... So first of all, also, I was like, was this movie the origin of the fact that every child wanted their birthday parties at McDonald's? Because there's a scene in the film where there's a birthday party at McDonald's that like when they're pulling up to the McDonald's has a scene of breakdancers in front of the McDonald's celebrating this kid's birthday. Apparently they need to step aside. His cars pull in. Then they go inside. There's even more breakdancers and everybody is just like dancing and doing flips off of tables and stuff. And Ronald's just there handing out balloon animals. And this is where we're led to believe a child's birthday. Like, not like some visiting dignitary or whatever. This is just a kid's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> how awesome it is to have your kid's birthday at McDonald's. Holy crap. Sarah had never seen it before, which is sort of like, like also just the the notion that Coca-Cola is like life-staining fuel for these aliens. What, what I find such a pleasurable part of watching that movie is how much of that horribleness is actually in E.T., but it's just like... It exaggerated a little bit to go into Mac and Me, but it is not exaggerated as much as you think. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. That's it. Like, I, 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 they they run through it in MST3K. They were just yeah. sort of like, oh, like you know, like there's like an alien, whatever. No, you're thinking of ET. Oh yeah, but he like needs like snack food, or, like a special say, candy, like special kind of candy. You're like, oh, you're thinking of ET. It's just like just like, keep going. It. Like, Wait, they get magic powers, right? They can fly eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> Although there is the, the one moment where the movie veers off from E.T., which is also brilliantly captured on the MST3K, is where the, the kid, Eric, who's in the wheelchair, at the end of the film, when there's like the government showdown with the alien family that's trying to like escape, whatever like the kid's like i need to stop this and like wheels up in his wheelchair and the jonah on msg3k is like oh, okay this is where he's gonna like stand up and make his big like plea to the government to like that like we're not as different as like as you think you are or whatever else like that and then they just open fire and the, and the van explodes in fire explosion and you see like all of the msg3k whoa they're like this never happened this never happened in et oh my god he's dead everyone's on fire <laughs> why is this happening mm-hmm. And then, of course, whatever, the aliens bring the kid back to life, and it's fine. Of course, yeah. Then they also commented, and they were just sort of like, they were like, we would like to take this moment to, like, say to, like, intergalactic spacefaring aliens that we have unreal, like, Hollywood has set unrealistically high expectations for you. If you they're like, if you're not visiting our planet because you don't have magic powers, like, believe us, we will accept you as you are. Hollywood mm-hmm. has the unrealistic expectation that all aliens will have magical life-saving powers or at least the power of, like, levitation or healing. It's okay. You don't need to have those things. Oh, uh, man. Holy crap, was that a piece of trash. Like, mm-hmm. I remember, I think they made us, made us, like, I think it was one of the VHS tapes that it was not, like, a, um, it was not viewing in a classroom but I think, like, if it was raining and they had to show a movie... They put that they, on. Yeah, that was, like, on one of the rotations of, like, my elementary school's movies. And you know what? I'm willing... I have no basis of this thought, but I just had the thought. I'm pretty sure McDonald's probably handed them out to schools. Like... <laughs> Copies of the video? Yeah. Like, why would they not, right? Like, I know why that they're... not? Yeah. <laughs> Like, why would you not just give that to, like, every flipping school? Like, they have to have those. Because if I'm not mistaken, like, you had, they, we had, like, these, like, special VHS boxes, which were, they were labeled that they were okay for public, uh, public screenings, mm-hmm. right? Like, so they were, sort of like, they were, like, good for schools and whatever else, because you could show them, show them sure. publicly. And that, the Mac and Me box was in one of those. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's, why would, why would anyone have paid for that? <laughs> like, when, mm-hmm. when McDonald's could have easily just given it out to every school around, which I feel is a McDonald's thing. Because they'd be Do you like, want to rate this thing? Does it does it belong on the list? I feel like it does. Kind of, like real low. This <laughs> like is a, we, but this is like a true legendary failure of a oh, film. Oh, you know? Also hilarious because I was like, Sarah, it's the one with the, the Paul Rudd clip. And she's yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking she's about. She's finally going to get and it. And then as soon as it started, she's like, oh, I know what you're talking about now. Uh, yeah, exactly. So she had seen the Paul Rudd clip a million times on Conan, yeah. but never seen the movie that attached it to it. Um, yeah, we can throw Mac and me on the list. It's real bad. The the so rule we- for me is like at the bottom, you have to go past merely incompetent and past terrible into offensive. And yeah. the, the degree to which this was a McDonald's advertisement, I think qualifies it for, for like below killing joke or born. I, well, I don't know, because I'm just saying, because like, we put um, the Garbage Pail Kids, and that's ostensibly just to sell Garbage Pail Kids. Sure. We put that at 160, which is very low, don't mind. Yeah, yeah. But um, mm, Kenny Ortega, The Descendants. So fun fact about Descendants, my niece uh, loves them and uh-huh. uh, is having a Descendants-themed uh, birthday this year. So There's nothing wrong with that. 
I, I, I don't think it's like I said. I mean, it's fine. I think they weren't that bad. Okay, X Men Apocalypse. Pink flamingos. It's tough because they're very different kinds of terrible. Yeah, that's exactly. I was like, like Pink Flamingo has some like uh, artistic integrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, from the very loosest way of artistic integrity. Um, I would. I because the thing story. is, but, there, but there's like a high entertainment value of yeah, Mac. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This like, is the, because you, the, the entertainment value in part comes from the MST3K that you watched. If you had to watch Mac and Me by itself dry, oof, <laughs> it goes by, in dry. Well, by, by itself, by yourself is a problem. But like by itself, like with like the two of you, like we would be just like. Okay, fair play. Big, We'd be MST3King it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Well, like if you sorry. want a movie to like open riff on. Like it's it's all right there. Like even yeah. there, like, there was there's even there's stuff in that just like with like the way that the aliens behave and stuff like that. Like, like Sarah and I just kept like latching on to the fact that the whoever the humans are in those bodysuits are the skinniest people on Earth. Like <laughs> like just like every time we're like they're they're so they're those people are so skinny. Like and they're really tight latex things. You can imagine them sweating horribly uh, every under yeah. the cameras. But just like every time we like one of those went on, like I, I guess there's, there's plenty of stuff to riff on that are that is like even that MST3K didn't necessarily have to take a shot at because there's so much stuff that they were taking the shots at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I'm uh, I'd put it. I would maybe put it under under Pink Flamingos because like a lot of those like like Dark Dark Phoenix Underworld X Men like you get mad watching it like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is, you understand that it's, like, just, like, right off the bat, like, without, and this is, like, not even an MST3K bit, like, where he just gets, like, thrown into traffic and just kind of, like, coils up into a ball, bounces around, then immediately gets pasted by a truck. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, what am I watching? <laughs> and, like, there's not even any joke there. It's just, like, that happens to a small child alien. Like, cinema gold cinema yeah, exactly. gold now go to mcdonald's like, so and also yeah go to mcdonald's and also that, that mcdonald's dance party scene <laughs> that that's right yeah i think 171 uh underneath uh pink flamingos. underneath pink flamingos is kind of where it goes because i think i would it goes a little above those like because i'm looking like dark phoenix x-men batman versus superman they were trying to sell me coca-cola just as much as this movie was mm. so <laughs> That's where I put it. But Dark yeah, Shadows. Oh, Oof, it oh, had those bad. Oof. Yeah. yeah. I would put it above that. Um, Scott, have you done more research on the, the history of Snowjob for us? Uh, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. But 97 was where all the research was done. Because all I could find about Snowjob 98 was that uh, Much Music released a CD mm. that had all of seven tracks on it. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> As we know, that that's very close to the maximum storage capacity of a CD. And the seven artists on this, various artists, Snowjob 98 CD put out by Universal Records, included Holly McNarland, LL oh. Cool J, Big Wreck, Chumbawamba, All Saints, Widemouth Mason, and the Mighty Mighty Boston's. Ooh, it's the 90s. I think it might be, maybe it re, it might have rebranded to Snow Jam. No. Right? Because I remember okay. the Jam they Neige. That Snow, was Snow Jam was, was the YTV All Ages Festival, very different than Snow Job. Mm. Snow yeah. Job started in 93 and went until at least 2001 that I can see. Wow. 
But I said, because I went to a Jam Day Neige, which was put on by Music Plus. In... Fuck, your, fuck your Jam Day Neige. I'm not doing research on another 25-year-old <laughs> music festival held on a snow hill. I feel no you're job really, or really beginning to doubt your commitment to the 9 to 5 entertainment system. If, if, if our podcast is not about this, then what is it about? Well, yeah, Actually, I think I have the answer to that question. It's about arbitrarily ranking these things. So if we were going to do a uh, Mount Rushmore of decades of alternative music. Decades? I was going to say if we were going to do a Mount Rushmore of like – uh, like I guess they weren't even really music festivals, just like mega concerts of the nineties. <laughs> like, I mean, there's only so many. Uh, Concordia's Frost Week had had my favorite free ass co- concert. You could just wander into downtown. Oh, and it was um, the Violent Femmes, Great Big Sea, The Pursuit of Happiness, and I think it was like Matthew Goodband, those four just playing a free concert wow. downtown. Yeah. I was like, oh. I kind of I kind of liked I'm Matthew Good. It. He did some solo stuff after Matthew Goodband broke up that I thought was really nice. I, I, I don't know. He's always been, uh, like, fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like it, it's he's never done anything where I'm like, oh, this is bad. And even when you go back and listen to his, like, and I, I say fine in the best possible way. Yeah. Like, like where you're like, he's it never like aged terribly or anything. Yeah. Like, you're just like he's been pretty good. What? Um. So now I'm looking up Big Day Out, the Big Day Out Festival. Uh oh, wow. So the Big Day Out Festival was in 1992, and I guess the two big headliners were Violent Femmes and Nirvana. That sounds like a great fucking show. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also featuring like Henry Rollins. Yeah. Uh, Cosmic Psychos, Falling Joys. Well, uh, Livid. So the Livid Festival in 1998 featured Public Enemy, Pulp, Sonic Youth, Regurgitator, The Living End were the big headliners. God, did they play in Quebec? No, no, no. I'm just looking. This is That was oh. in Australia. I'm just looking at festivals from the 90s. <laughs> Come on. Who cares if it's on Australia? Like, <laughs> so the Living End are all Australians? over the place. This must be an Australian website because the Living End are on all these festivals. <laughs> Whoa. So yeah, so Somersault, so we had this, like, that Somersault where I told you in, uh, in Canada, which had uh, Our Lady Peace, Sm- Smashing Pumpkins and Foo Fighters as the headliners, which is like admittedly huge. Also like A Perfect Circle was there and like Trouble Charger and Eve 6, I want to say. Pretty big. But in the States, or by the States, I mean Australia, Somersault it. had Beastie Boys, Foo Fighters, Sonic Youth, Beck, Pavement, Rancid. That's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. Like... Just Beastie Boys and Foo Fighters and Sonic Youth mm-hmm. on like a single day of a festival is about as like about as good as the nineties get. Wow. Ministry. Oh wait, speaking of uh weird nineties music, did I you guys did you guys see that link that I sent that KMFDM released it uh, a dub album? I didn't click on it. Was it any good? I mean it's it's dub. <laughs> like it's like weird like chill like dance hall dub vibes, but it's actual KMFDM with like the real KMFDM vocalist, but just sort of like chill kind of like relaxed kind of like reggae dub vibes <laughs> going on with but and but it's also like the rest of it plays like it's like it's fun. Like I was like I was I don't know I guess like they you're like, Hey, are you a fan of KMFDM and you want something you could put on at the beach? <laughs> like here's that <laughs> like it's just it's so weird that it's 
like a lot of these like uh like i remember uh like the early 2000s or whatever uh pat used to have an album that he put on for laws all the time called like dub side of the moon mm-hmm. which is just like a band that did like dub covers of all of dark side of the moon it's sure. which is, so like dub covers of bands music is not a new thing it is weird that it's kmfdm themselves that did it you know mm-hmm. like it's not like it's not like you and i were in a band and we decided to do like an album full of dub covers of KMFDM. It was KMFDM themselves being like, and it's, here's a 17 track record of our mm-hmm. greater hits. Done. It's like those guys who do um, the, I think it's trampled by turtles. They do fade to bluegrass, the bluegrass tribute to Metallica. Yeah. And they have like three albums of it. It's good mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, it would be like if Metallica had gotten together and decided to do a bluegrass cover. Mm-hmm. Band. Like, you know, like I understand like how other musicians interpret musicians work in another style but if metallica was like let's make a bluegrass album of our own hits it's that yeah no it's listenable and i don't think that is that far out of the realm of possibility i don't know i mean i feel <laughs> like i would not be terribly surprised if metallica did do that uh, but would any would would metallica fans buy it I mean, let's let's remember the time that Nirvana went unplugged and brought in a cellist and played acoustic sit-down versions of their and crazy post-punk. People probably thing. remember them more for that album than their like that well, album I mean, gets more play these days than than Nevermind. It definitely yeah. shaped their characters more yeah. than. Well, I mean, it was Nevermind the last did. release. Was this his last release? Before. Yeah, it was the last big release. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I'm trying to look at the track listing of the, yeah, Dub Light, Superhero Dub, Dub Uranus, Bumaye Dub, A Dub Against War, <laughs> Amnesia Dub, KMF Dub. <laughs> they also just throw Dub into the title of, of their own track. It stands for Kill Motherfucking Depeche Mode, right? That's that's no. the joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of them. That yeah. That is one of their, but yeah, it's supposed to be, I can't remember what it is, but it's actually a grammatically incorrect German phrase is huh. the, the, the earliest of it, but the members themselves have said that like, it also might as well stand for kill motherfucking Depeche Mode. Yeah. <laughs> like, they must the, really is, not like Depeche Mode. I think they just didn't like what they were about. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is That's Depeche heroin, Mode, right? Is Depeche, Depeche Mode, Mode is about heroin. Everything. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is, is Depeche Mode divisive in Germany? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so weird. Um, what else? There was something. Oh yeah. 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 John. Uh, Scott, you mentioned LL Cool J was on Snowdrop 98. Mm-hmm. I finished reading uh, volume all four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, very fun. It gets, like, have you read them all? No, nope. uh, only the first right. two. Okay. <clears throat> um, volume three and four, it gets harder to follow because the story of hip hop has grown. Well, there's too many characters, right? Well, it, and it's not just too many characters, but it's like too many cities, right? Like when you're reading the first volume, it's like, 90, 95% in New York. And then the second volume is like 75% in New York and 25% in LA. <laughs> you know, like, whereas now by volume three and four, you're like, here's what's going on in Chicago and here's what's going on in Philly. And there's a lot going on in LA and there's a lot going on in New York. And now there's also the separation of the commercially successful stuff that's going on. And now like the growing underground scene that's happening at the same time as now there's like commercially acceptable hip hop. So it just like, it doesn't quite have that same flow as it's like jumping around from character to character a lot. And you, you need to have a lot more hip hop knowledge to follow volume three and volume four than you do 
to volume one and volume two, whereas volume one and volume two, you're like, okay, I got it. There's Flash, Herc, Bombada. (laughs) That's all I need to know. And I understand everybody, every other character that gets introduced ties into those two characters. And then, I mean, I guess by, by volume three or volume four, you really need to know just Russell Simmons because everybody ties in somehow to Russell Simmons in one way or the other. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's really good, but one of the things that stuck out at me uh, about LL Cool J was, so when Rick Rubin pitched the Beastie Boys as like an act to Russell Simmons, he had them dressed up as like hip hop guys. Yeah, and Russell Simmons was yeah, and Russell Simmons was like, this is like as offensive as blackface to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, come back tomorrow dressed how you normally dress and try this again. And then they did it, and he was like, okay, this I can sell which is a bunch of kids who kind of look like punks, but are like doing Beastie Boys rap. But then the exact reverse thing happened uh, where LL Cool J showed up to audition because LL Cool J wanted to be like the flashiest rapper in the world. So he was dressed like Furious Five style, like cowboy hat and gold chains, with like feathers and frills and all that stuff. And Russell Simmons was like, what are you doing? Like, that's not your style. Like, come how you usually dress, which is like a hip hop guy. And he's like, okay, that's good. And... (laughs) Beastie Boys were, like, happy. They were like, yeah, we'd really rather dress how we normally dress. But LL Cool J apparently, like, had like gave him guff and was like, nobody's going to, like, recognize me if I'm just dressed how I normally dress. Like, LL Cool J wanted to be wearing a big giant cowboy hat with, like, fringe feathers and stuff and being like, LL Cool J. Also, the story about how he gets, like, discovered is hilarious because they're... So um, Rick Rubin produced an album and just printed his like on his Def Jam records and printed the mailing address as his dorm address because he was like still living in a dorm. That's amazing. Uh, and then, but then like kids would start sending him mixtapes being like, I'm sending it to Def Jam records, not knowing it's just like a dude in his dorm. And apparently it was like ad rock or whatever. It was just going through the pile of cassettes and then found a cassette that had ladies love cool James. And they were like, you need to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy wrote ladies love cool James on a cassette. Let's pop it in. And then they were like, oh, man, he's really good. Yeah. The power of a name, dude. <laughs> like, it, got him, it got him a bit seen in Crush Groove. Yeah. It got everybody. And that, yeah, I think Volume 4 deals with the, the filming of Crush Groove and, yeah. and how, like, just everybody's, like, all over the place. And, like, Rick, like Rick Rubin would, like, yell cut and be like, that's not how it happened. <laughs> like, he was not a director or anything. He was just there. And they were like, we're still trying to make it a Hollywood movie, you guys. Did you Uh, watch any of the um, Netflix documentary, Hip Hop Evolution? No, I really watched it. With Shad. Well, when they're playing the music behind the documentary part, it sort of helps drag you along Mm -hmm. to some of the more confusing aspects of the history of it, especially when they go into into Georgia and, and Atlanta and you're just like, Ooh, this is much more complicated and much less um, out in my zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. They have, I mean, they're, I mean, hip hop family street volume four only goes to 85. So That's like, crazy. they're not, they're not even, they're not even there yet. Like they're, they're still like, they just um, like Jazzy Jeff and yeah. And I was in one of the other stories that was absolutely crazy. The Jazzy Jeff and fresh Prince teaming up was like a, accident like they jazzy jeff had his own mcs and will smith was mc for like another dj and jazzy jeff was like spinning a party or whatever 
his MCs didn't show, so he was just going to spin it without an MC. And Will Smith was there and was like, I, I got this. And then everyone was like, that was the greatest thing in the world. And then they were like, well, screw everybody else. <laughs> like, we're doing this together now. And then, like... Not for nothing. That's wasn't a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it worked out pretty well for both of them. <laughs> like they, they had instant chemistry right on yeah. like their first album, right? Also, one of the one of one of the other amazing things is just Ice T, like not knowing he was good, and also being everywhere. Like you're like, oh, and this movie came out, and then Ice T was on the soundtrack, and he wrote a I wrote a song for it, and then uh, someone booked Ice T, but instead of showing up, he showed up with his band, and it was they got booed off the stage because he was like singing like heavy metal, like in body count or whatever. And you're like, and he was like borderline homeless and stuff, like just like going in and out. The other one was KRS-One. Holy crap. KRS-One just spending so much time homeless. And you're yep. like, you're like, oh my God. You're like, I know, I know he blows up eventually, but you're like, meanwhile, here he is. Like he joined the Krishnas and now he's like living in a men's shelter. And now here he is doing whatever. And I was like, I know you get big eventually, but I'm like, I, I've tried to, when I'm reading these books, not really look up anybody. Karis like, one is is um he got picked up by his DJ right Scott Larock was the yeah one yeah yeah exactly well that's it like, like shit, you need to keep doing this and you need to do that with me and you are good enough and I will put you in shows well, and well, that, that's kind of where they're at right now is he's hanging out with Scott Larock and it's funny because like every time because like Karis one is like like renowned now as like on the forefront of sort of like being like very like lyrically ahead of of the game or whatever, but it's just like, there's like a thing that happens every time he raps and they were just sort of like, people are like dissing, 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 dissing. And then it's like, it happens a couple times in the comic where you just see him holding a mic with his mouth open. And there's just like a vortex of like paint spatter and whatever, just like flying out and everybody's like hair blowing back every time. Like, you know, they never show actually what his <laughs> lyrics were because all of this stuff happened at like freestyles and no one knows exactly what like this is all pre like anything being recorded but everyone is just sort of like it was amazing (laughs) like krs1 grabbed the mic and just blew this guy out of the water and everybody was like like blown away by it but yeah like i know he makes it yeah it's like krs1 and like rakim are the two guys who take rap music and make it so lyrically complex that it starts to be it's like they become the watchmen of their genre where all the people who are trying to give it the label of art, use them as the example. Yeah. It it stopped being like, I went to the hat store and bought myself a hat, (laughs) you know? And it was just like, and all of a sudden like people like, instead of just like A, B, A, B, A, B rhymes, like things were getting like real complicated and, and all that stuff. Um, What was the other one? Oh Yeah. When they, they tried to do a, a kind of like American American bandstand or um, oh my God, what, uh, Soul, Soul Train version for hip hop. And they get to this part where there was like, there's like two like established dudes who then, and it was like, if you watch the clip, you could find the clip online where it's like they have a fake rap battle against Run DMC. But like Run DMC are like very much like the rookies. And right. they're like, and even like Ed Pisker's like talking about, it, he's like, it's like the friendliest rap battle in the world. <laughs> That, like happens because they're basically just like like it's just like you're great but i'm great too <laughs> like like and that's like kind of how it goes and everyone's been like it's always been like a weird like historical artifact of like it's one of the first rap battles that was on tv but it's just hmm. like super friendly and apparently the whole story behind that is like jam master jay who was like more established 
in the hip hop community, the Run DMC at the time, like went backstage and was like, yo, my, my guys are like too, too young and raw and they're like on the come up. Please do not destroy them on television <laughs> because they cannot handle a, like a real rap battle at this mm-hmm. stage in their careers. So like potentially like career saving move by Jam Master J. Because if like if Run DMC had gone out on television and got like eviscerated by like better battle rap guys, like maybe there'd be no Run DMC because they would have been like embarrassed on national television. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like when that stuff mattered, you know, like when everybody's trying to like as it is, they had a, a hard time gaining like rap credibility because they had all of the guitar samples and stuff. So a lot of people were like, mm. this is not like, and they were even actively against it. Like a lot of that was Rick Rubin pushing them. Like, like being like, this is going to a sell to white people and B set you apart. Like was mm. very much, you're going to have guitar riffs and stuff. And they were like, are you sure about that? I feel we're just going to get made fun of <laughs> like while they were in that whole recording process. Real good stuff though. Like I, I really, really it, it. it did sell a lot of records, but it did end up, pigeonholing them because they lost a lot of the street cred and not looking far enough in the future. They did not see the idea of street level rap becoming mm-hmm. the thing that would become popular. And that's basically what killed run DMC. Wait, it screwed were, them over in the nineties, right? Like big time. Like by 88 uh, NWA is out and they're just like, Oh yeah, we're the guys who partied with Aerosmith. Listen to us. We also have stuff to say. And, yeah, they couldn't trans- was not- transition outwards, and they never, and they never did the like we're now, like super into like beats and stuff the way Beastie Boys did, right? Like they they couldn't transition out of like that party party hip hop vibe. Well, they tried they tried to they they released oh, yeah they tried to go serious, but it in didn't the early nineties where they were all dressed, you know, in black and like looking thugs, but like you you can't do that when you were the one on MTV partying with the kids yeah beforehand like. I mean, so you I can mean, because Worldwide Wrecking Crew was a very lame group, and Dr. Dre was <laughs> very lame in Worldwide Wrecking Crew. Yeah, but they weren't on everyone's TV. No one. Yeah, exactly. They weren't massive. Was yeah. Whereas, like, uh, I mean, well, not not King of Rock. Uh, some another one of the one of the other Run DMC songs with rock in it, <laughs> with the word rock. rock in it. Rockbox. Hmm? Yeah, Rockbox. Rockbox was the I think the first hip hop video that had uh like of a real hip-hop group that was on mtv outside of like debbie harry's rhapsody right like yeah like so yeah um and i and i picked up and i haven't read it yet but pisker did like the same deal for the x-men yes which i'm very excited for so did you ever read any of the hip-hop family tree john like nope yeah (laughs) he did them in like uh, it's like he they're large print books uh like what are they like 11 by 14s maybe bigger scott what's the big what's the big fantagraphics size book they're big (laughs) yeah i was like i think they're like 11 by 14 so like like way bigger than way bigger than a loose leaf way bigger than even like a a, and a normal comic book and they're they're just they're like tank name books they're like yeah european albums yeah, I don't know what the measurement is on them. And and they're just like, he does like through like the art and all these like, and the guy is just like painstakingly uh, runs through the history of all these little things with like tons of interviews, tons of anecdotes, like to the point where I think we might've mentioned this even on a past show where like the forward of, I think volume two or volume three was written by a guy, uh, by the director of Wild Style, like the film. And he was like, I don't know who you talk to because you didn't talk to me. And you know stuff about like my movie that like, I feel like I'm the only one who knows. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like he's like, that's like the level of research that this guy does is that like the director was like, I kind of forgot about that. But then I read it in your book and you're 100 percent right. That is what happened. <laughs> you know, like the director of the film. Um, but yeah, so anyway, he does the same deal for the X-Men. He does two did two volumes of it. So he does the same like super in-depth fine tooth comb history of the X-Men deal, which I'm pretty excited for. I, I read like, a couple, I picked up a couple in floppies, but mm-hmm. uh, it was very hard to get them unless you pre-ordered them, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is X-Men Grand Design. Grand Design, and, that's it. Um, in, in some ways, being so well-versed in what he was talking about, it kind of made me more nitpicky about stuff. So like the stuffy glasses over? Out. Yeah. Oh, but that's important. Oh, but that. Uh, but what he does do that I found very, very interesting was he tells it all chronologically. So, like, mm-hmm. if in X Men, like issue one twenty five, you find out what Charles Xavier did the day before he formed the X Men, that that's on page one of X Men <laughs> design. Yeah, and there's none of this like backstory kind of fitting it in in place which is weird to see it all laid out like that yeah because this these are books that i've i've read because you you read them in 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 our chronological order not the x-men's chronological order in publication time yeah so like wolverine and captain america teaming up in world war ii was a book that came out in the 90s but you find out that early in the pages first 10 pages So, I'm, I'm I'm down. I'm cool. very, very down. It, it's cool. Uh, and I just feel like it's more for someone who knows less about the X-Men. Yeah. I mean, which I, I would, I, other than like, I know, I know the, I know the main spots. <laughs> like, I just like, I remember I did the, I did the Claremont run and I did uh, like Days of Future Past. And I've done Dark Phoenix. Like I've done the, like, I definitely know the hits, but I never have been reading X-Men monthly. So I feel like I'm going to have. A good time. The other thing that I just picked up, comic book. All of all of that was the Claremont run. Was it all? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm just saying because I was like, I know I, I I read I read Days of Future Past and uh, Dark Phoenix recently because they were on Comicsology Unlimited, and I did the Claremont run like maybe ten years ago, so I didn't remember that it was part of that run. The, I also did the uh, Proteus Saga. The days of the Dark Phoenix saga, the days of Future Past, yeah. The Australian X Men team switching over to Excalibur when Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Colossus yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, team Gold, Team Blue, all of that. Chris Claremont. Yeah, that's like because that's like what mid eighties to early nineties. Late seventies to nineteen ninety three. X Men number okay. three. Yeah. The other thing that I picked up, speaking of older comics that I forgot to mention, I noticed there was a Doom Patrol television show that yeah. apparently is running like two or three seasons. And spun then I off, was, Spun off of from Teen Titan or the Titans show. But not really, I discovered. <laughs> is it has the same actors playing the same characters, but it does not exist in the same timeline. So okay. they're like, there, there are certain things that Doom Patrol does that I guess goes against what happens in Titans. But yes, it does have the same... Same actors reprising their roles from Titan. But then I was like, oh, yeah, Doom Patrol. Um, and then I found out on Comixology Unlimited that the entire Grant Morrison run is it. So that's 87 to 93. Ooh, 80s Grant Morrison's going to be weird. It is so weird, dude. 
<laughs> I was like, although I will find that Morrison's Doom Patrol is uh, what was his first uh, creator uh, run one the with like the poet and all that crap. Invisibles. Invisibles, yeah. I tried Invisibles and could not do it. Like, I really oh. couldn't do Invisibles. But Doom Patrol, I'm like, I'm like four or five issues into the run and I'm digging it. It's extremely Grant Morrison nonsense town. Like, um, so yeah, it's also, it starts off with like issue 18 because it was like someone else had Doom Patrol uh, for like 17 issues and Grant Morrison wanted to have it. And apparently there was some sort of arrangement. That guy, uh, there was some DC event, the Invasion? Was it Invasion maybe? That's a DC event from the 80s. Yeah, so yeah. There was Invasion that happened. Grant Morrison made a deal with the other writer to kill off certain characters and whatever else like that. And then post-Invasion, have the Doom Patrol in the setting that he wanted. So like functionally, everybody's like, it's, it's essentially issue one. Like there's no reason to read issue one to 17 because it introduces some characters. Invasion kills off a bunch of them. And then Grant Morrison picks up and ignores the first 17 issues anyway. So you're like, there's no, no need. But so, yeah, but then... So John, if you don't know who the Doom Patrol are, they were nope. DC's version of the 60s X-Men. They had... But an sadder. Old, an old so guy... sadder. No. They had an old guy in a wheelchair named the Chief who put together a team of misfits and rejects mm. and trained them to work together as a unit to fight crime. Uh, there's Elastigirl... There's Robot Man and the guy with all the bandages who turned Negative Man. Yeah, originally Negative Man, who then became Grievous. Right? I've heard of none of these guys. Exactly. <laughs> they were not. They were not very good. They not didn't hold their own book for and too also, long. Like, I think, especially in the DCU, Scott's rolling his eyes. But they're like, yeah. I mean, but they're so just, low powered for DCU. They're so low powered. Yeah. Yeah. So they they existed in the sixties, and they sort of existed in like showcase comics or like crossover books or like weird team ups like the Brave and the Bold Batman meets the Doom Patrol. Yeah. They, they didn't really have an impact except for they were the ones who introduced Changeling Beast Boy as as like their kid member who then would go on to join the Teen Titans and then, you know, be on TV for most of the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. But they were like the forgotten characters no one wanted them no one did anything interesting with them Mm -hmm. until grant morrison in the 80s was like i'm doing a lot of drugs and (laughs) dc seems to be okay with me doing whatever i want with these guys it's like they handed them the kim the keys to a monthly (laughs) and it's like Hmm. i think it's it's even before vertigo but part of the reason that vertigo would become a thing at dc comics is alan moore doing swamp thing and uh, like yeah, Garth, Garth Ennis ninety three. This was eighty seven. Yeah, Garth Ennis doing um, Hellblazer and Grant Morrison doing Doom Patrol, and all three of them just being like, "We're from the UK and really high, and no one seems to be paying too close attention to what we're doing." Yeah, it's so crazy, <laughs> and stuff that happens is just like, like right out the gate. It's completely insane. Like like negative man. Uh, so Negative Man is like rehabilitating after the events of Invasion and then like a weird cosmic force just decides to show up, grab his hand, grab the hand of one of the, like the forefront of like genetic doctors of the DC universe, Eleanor Poole, and is just sort of like, what's up now? And then they fuse into one creature and he's like, I'm called Rebus. I'm both genders. I'm both races. Here I am. And you're like, oh, weird. cool. 
1987. What's up, Grant Morrison? The main bad guys of the first run um, is the Scissormen, who just speak nonsense words, where they're just sort of like, uh, where they're like um, an Etruscan in the Arboretum or whatever. And you're like, that's what they say as they march forward with giant scissors. And when they cut you, you become like a white cutout in space, frozen in time. And that's because you go to Orquith, which is an imaginary land that is invading reality like a cancer that you can only read about because it's published in the Black Book, which seems to be a piece of fiction written in Orquith that has come through into reality that you can't read. The only person who can read it is Crazy Jane, who has like a hundred different personalities, and each personality has a different superpower. So they had to call up the superpower of the one who could basically be a cipher and read this magical book printed in black ink on black pages. This is like issue three. Wow. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, here we go. <laughs> like every crazy idea possible that's happening. And they're all, and every character is just kind of like sad and defeated and kind of pathetic in his own way. And they're just sort of like, and the worst part is, is like, they're kind of like cognizant of their like crappiness. And like, they're like <laughs> really call Superman. And like the chief is like, no, <laughs> We can handle this. He's like, I really don't think we can. <laughs> like, because it still exists in the DC verse, right? Like, so the characters are literally like, we are not cut out to handle this level of threat to humanity. And like, the chief is just like, yes, we can. I've seen it. I can, I know our abilities. And I'm like, but really, why don't you call Superman? You have like invalid, like reality invading monsters who can touch people and like trap them. And they're like, no, let's let's hang out to Robot. And at this point, the team is just Robot Man, who doesn't really, other than having like superior like strength and whatever, is just a robot. He's a human brain and a robot. So his power levels come from the fact that he's a robot. And he's basically the thing. He just whines all the time about being a robot. Yeah, he's very sad. He's like, <laughs> I can't taste. But he's like, I have memories of being a human, so I can't taste. Like, I remember what things tasted like, and I don't have taste anymore. I remember touching things. I don't have touch. I'm just sad. But like, and like you said, he's like the thing. He's stronger than like a man, but he's just, you know, a robot. Like he's not the strongest. And certainly like, and that's the thing that I find crazy about Doom Patrol is that like, especially in the DCU where you're dealing with your Supermans and your Wonder Womans and your Green Lanterns and your Flash, like the power level in the DCU is like so tough. Out of control. Yeah. And these guys are just like, I'm a robot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Exactly. I could punch through a wall. Like maybe it's like I could blow up that building. Anyway, it's it's good. I'm, I don't know how if I'm gonna be in for the full whatever like seven or eight year run of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just get yourself a bottle of absinthe and. I'm finding it an easier read than the Invisibles. Like Invisibles, I couldn't really do. I tried really hard with Invisibles, but uh... really, Invisibles is super easy to get. It's basically what if Neverwhere was the Matrix, and that's the Invisibles. Yeah, but I found—I don't know—I found the like. I, I'm not saying I didn't get the point <laughs> of it. I was just saying that, like, I just—I found the writing and stuff. Like, maybe I feel like because it was '94, Invisible was '94, so I just—I found that like it felt really '90s to me. Not to say that Doom Patrol doesn't feel '80s, but maybe I'm just more like uh, my brain is not as like put off by the fact that it's super '80s because I wasn't reading comics in the '80s. I don't know. I don't know if that how that works, but anyway, I dug it. I dug Doom Patrol. Grant Morrison's uh, Doom Patrol for me was always 
when I'd buy those piles of grab bags, be like, oh, right, new X-Men. Oh, there's a Wolverine. There's some Punisher stuff in here. And there's a goddamn Doom Patrol issue. (laughs) Out of context, no sense, no hope of reading it. They're like, it's just like, oh, this is the comic about the guy that's a human pillow. That's that's all (laughs) here. There it is. But like I said, like this whole like the land of Orquith invading reality with the Scissor Men who have their own little rhyme who like speak in complete like it's just like jumbles of like sort of like archaic sounding words is how they speak. And like I was like I was like reading it, being like pretty into it, and then I was like I realized this is issue three. Like so if like think about like in a month or two, if I'm like I'm reading Doom Patrol, it's pretty cool, and like Scott's like yeah, it's all right. Then like John, like you happen to pick it up like issue three of that (laughs) run. And that's what you're dealing with. You're like, oh, there's an entire city of bone and there's scissor men running around. And who are any of these characters? You don't know any of them because like it's DC. So you're like Superman. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not that. Once, once again, I, I, I got a lot of these from random grab bags out of order, out of continuity. <laughs> no sense. I can tell you that at some point in the Doom Patrol, there's a man who is a pillow. <laughs> He's, he is... He has he has a face on a square of flesh that lives on a couch, <laughs> and basically laments his existence. And so the answer is drugs yeah. in the eighties, right? That's 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 the answer. That's what's happening yeah. here. Yeah, he's gonna be a pillow man. Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison was basically that guy we all played vampire with, who showed up before, during, and after, dressed all in black with a high collar. Mm-hmm. And ordered absent from whatever crappy bar he was in. He was that. <laughs> but was also already on acid. But wrote a lot. <laughs> but wrote a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He he gave you the 30-page background that was written with a calligraphy quill. It's just like, oh, come Yeah, and, really... and some of the pages are like dipped in tea and then dried to make them look old. Yeah, good job, Grant. <laughs> anyway, I'm loving it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Sign me up. But I think, I mean, I don't know if I would have, like, in, I enjoyed it not knowing, I guess, like, the 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 surrounding elements of, like, yes, it's the 80s. Yes, it's Grant Morrison doing a bunch of drugs, being this weird British writer. But I just, I also love, while reading it, to be like, this is a monthly thing coming out not on Vertigo or not on some, like, independent thing. Like, this is happening in DC. Like, DC Comics every month is like, anyway, here's this. Is it is it fun, at least? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's Scott does not think it's fun. I think it's I fun. Think it's fun. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'll, I just finished the first story arc, which I believe might just be called the Scissor Men. <laughs> like, but uh, the first story arc, like those first four issues on the Grant Morrison run, is enough that I'm like, I'm gonna read more. So, but I, but a big part of that is almost like staring at it in disbelief that this was coming out from a major publisher at the same time that they're publishing Superman and Batman and whatever, that you just have this insane nonsense, not under some art house publishing label or whatever. You're like, this is just a crazy British dude on drugs. Just writing whatever. I don't know, John, I would like, I don't know if you can, I don't know if there's like a way for you to do it, to pick it up. Cause I have it on digital, right. but yeah, like, like at least if you picked up like the first one, I'd like, I'd be interested in to see what you would say with it. Just, just to, to dig it. I mean, if we can find a way, I'll check it out. I'm, uh, anything closing closing moments comments on 90s we had talked to movies we have we do have have you guys talked about assigning me a bad movie is no, it my I don't turn? think we have I don't know whose turn it is I feel like it's been a while since I did one though 
Oh yeah, I, you I just did cats, bro. You what? You just did cats. No, yeah, but, I, but I watched I, it like six weeks ago. Yeah, but that's the thing. So you're the last one who had one assigned. Uh, Scott, we gave you Transformers. Possibly. Yeah. What did you give to me? I watched one bad. What did I watch? And the list needs to be updated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been. I'm, I'm coming up a couple months out of date there. <laughs> COVID. It's COVID. COVID. It's all COVID. Yeah, I don't know. What did, where I remember watching a bad movie. I was like, oh, I need to watch this, and it was trash. Well, uh, you, you did watch. Um, what did we open with? Mac and me. Yeah, yeah. I did that to myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I remember watching a bad movie, and I was like, oh, I want to get it out of the way. I think it might be my turn. I, I believe it is your turn. Oh yeah, I watched that weird, that crappy Paranormal Activity one. Oh yeah, that, yeah. that was. So we're yeah. up for Scott. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. I think, yeah, I think we will come. I don't think we can we can do this right now, but I think that we will put that on the to do. Uh, do we want to assign ourselves a Mount Rushmore? Do we? Mm, if we don't have one that's exciting up and we're discussing it. I don't know that I want to drag it out. That's okay. We can just yeah. think about it. I think, think about so, it. listen, we're going to have to assign Scott a movie and maybe pitch Mount Rushmore's on yep. the next episode. Tweet us. Tweet, tweet us. At us. Don't do that. Yeah, do it. Just call me on my phone. I think this is an idea. Everybody. Thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways, and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you can get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. 905.cc. <laughs> Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.